You're listening to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M, where she breaks down the nitty gritty basics of nursing concepts. Hello and welcome to Nitty Gritty Nursing with Nurse M. In today's episode, I'm going to try to break down cyanotic congenital heart defects. Also, maybe you know it as decreased pulmonary blood flow defects, but either way, I'm going to discuss some of the cyanotic defects where hypoxia is more of a problem than congestive heart failure. And this is the opposite of the acyanotic defects where actually heart failure is more of a problem than hypoxia. And this makes sense, right? Because someone who's cyanotic means that they don't have enough O2 and they become blue and they're hypoxemic and they might have some cyanosis. So children born with a cyanotic heart defect or congenital heart defect You can also hear it referred to as a decreased pulmonary blood flow defect. And the two big ones that I'm going to discuss today are tetralogy of Fallot and transposition of the great arteries. The other thing that I'm also going to talk about specifically to children and their congenital heart defects are going to be mixed defects. And we're going to get to that in a little bit because I first just want to discuss the different types of cyanotic defects. So tetralogy of Fallot, let's start off there. Tetralogy of Fallot actually has four structural defects. And if you remember the word wraps, like I'm going to wrap, but you put an S at the end of it, R-A-P-S, that stands for every defect that a child who's got Tetralogy of Fallot has, which is R is for right ventricular hypertrophy. A is for aortic displacement, meaning that the aortic valve is displaced. P is for pulmonary stenosis. And the S is for a septal defect, specifically a ventricular septal defect. And in children who are born with Tetralogy of Fallot require surgical repair around the age of six months. So they can also get surgical repair done earlier, especially if the obstruction is, is severe. And Tetralogy of Fallot is actually, in my understanding, relatively common. And the hallmark feature is an abnormal position or orientation of the ventricular septum with a hold between the two lower heart chambers. Okay, so basically what happens is when you think about the right ventricular hypertrophy, that right ventricle, the muscle wall, becomes incredibly thick. And because the wall muscle becomes incredibly thick, a lot of the blood cannot get in easily. Now, you also have that aortic displacement, and the aortic valve is supposed to be in the left ventricle, right? And that is where the blood goes from the left atrium to the left ventricle through the aortic valve to the rest of the body. When you have Tetralogy of Fallot, you've got a a huge right ventricle. You have a hole in between the ventricles, a septal defect, which is the est. Your pulmonary valve is stenotic and your aorta valve is displaced. And so the whole lower portion of the heart basically is not working correctly. Now, this is because the right ventricle, because it's so big, when the blood, the deoxygenated blood drops into the right ventricle, that big wall of the muscle is so strong that, and with the hole in between the two ventricles, right, it pushes blood from the right ventricle into the left ventricle and out into the body, which is why this is classified as a cyanotic defect because the powerful right ventricle of that hypertrophy 
is actually causing a right-to-left shunt, and it's then going out through the displaced aortic valve. Now, the pulmonary valve, because it's so stenotic, the blood that the right ventricle is trying to push through to the lungs, it can't do it because it can't get the blood through the stiff valve that easily, thereby pushing it right-to-left back into the left ventricle through that displaced aortic valve and out to the body. So we're just really circulating a large quantity of deoxygenated blood that was unable to get to the lungs. Now, because of this, if you understand the pathology, the signs and symptoms that a lot of these little kiddos are going to have is they're going to be cyanotic, right? Because the blood that is returning back to the heart, dropping into the right atrium, down into the right ventricle with that hypertrophy. And as the ventricles squeeze, that right ventricle is too big, pushes blood through that ventricular septal defect over to the left side because the pulmonic valve is stenotic. So it's really hard to get the blood through and out it goes without ever going back to the lungs. They will then be short of breath. And they're short of breath because there's not enough blood going to their lungs to become oxygenated. And they can fall into what we call a tet spell. So Tetralogy of Follow has a very specific association called a tet spell. And these are acute episodes of cyanosis and hypoxia. This is a hypercyanotic spell. And because of this, basically the infant's oxygen requirements exceeds the blood supply such as during periods of crying or feeding um, or if they're having a bowel movement, right? So when they have that there, they will turn this bluish color on their skin is because of that demand for the oxygen. And with that sudden change of color to like a deep blue, you're going to see it in the nails and maybe in the lips um, when they're crying or feeding or when they're agitated because of that rapid drop in the O2. So what we do from a nursing perspective is give this child some supplementary oxygen and maximize the oxygen carrying capacity that they do have. And you want to try to provide them a calm environment. Now, the big thing that you really want to do is put them in what we call a knee to chest position. And you will see some kids instinctively do this, but it's basically where you take their legs and you push their knees up to their chest and you leave it in that position because it helps to increase systemic vascular resistance and it decreases the right to left shunting. Now, the way to think about this is it's kind of like a kink in the hose, right? When you kink a hose, which is bending this child's knees to their chest, you are increasing the backflow, right? And the pressure gradient so that when the heart then does contract, there is left less right to left shunting and more blood goes to the lungs because of that resistance that's being felt from the periphery. So that's why we do the um, knee to chest kind of movement for these kiddos. And then you want to give them IV fluids for volume expansion so that we can maximize the cardiac output that they do have that is oxygenated. Now that squatting is a compensatory mechanism to really facilitate the increased return of blood flow to the heart for the oxygenation. But if we understand that these children are chronically hypoxic, right? Clubbing, if you're doing your physical assessment, you're likely to also see clubbing in their fingernails um, because of the extra kind of growth that occurs to increase oxygen to those areas. Now, for these children, really some of the big treatment that we do is going to be surgical management, and it can be a palliative shunt. And if we do a shunt, that shunt will increase pulmonary blood flow and increase oxygen saturation in the infants who can't undergo a primary repair right away. So the shunt provides the blood flow to the pulmonary arteries from the left or the right subclavian artery. 
Ideally, though, we'd really want to do surgical management of a complete repair. And a complete repair is usually performed in the, within the first year of life. And it normally requires open heart surgery where we crack into the media, the, you know, sternum and put it, put this child on cardiac bypass in order to do this repair. So that's the nitty gritty basics on tetralogy of flow. Now let's talk about transposition of the great arteries, which is another cyanotic congenital heart defect. And transposition of the great arteries is just when the aorta and the pulmonary artery are actually switched in position. So you have two isolated circuits of only deoxygenated blood running, right? So if the deoxygenated blood comes back to the heart as it should, it drops into the right atrium, down into the right ventricle, and we've got flipped great arteries. So it's not the pulmonary valve there, it's actually the aortic valve. What happens is that deoxygenated blood that has returned to the heart to go to the lungs actually just gets recirculated out to the systemic system and vice versa with the oxygenated and arterial side of, you know, the pulmonic valve being in the aortic's position. And when the blood comes back from the lungs, drops into the left atrium, down in the left ventricle, and then goes back out through the pulmonary artery, pulmonary valve, back to the lungs, you have two isolated circuits. So in transposition of the great arteries, this is um, these infants that are born with this almost always will have another defect, whether that's a ventricular septal defect, an atrial septal defect, or the patent ductus arteriosus. What you should take away from this is if your pulmonary and your aortic valves are switched and those, you know, the aorta and the pulmonary artery are in reverse position and you have two isolated circuits, this is a critical defect and is fatal unless we treat it. So the right side does the systemic circulation, the left side is performing the pulmonic circulation, and the Children that do have this, they survive in utero because of the placenta that's feeding the um, fetus and through a bypass that we're all born with, which is that foramen ovale and the ductus arteriosus. So infants that have transposition of the great arteries, the foramen ovale and the ductus arteriosus are two critical structures that we have to keep open in order to get some exchange of oxygenated and deoxygenated blood between those two isolated systems. And what happens is when infants are born, the pressure changes in the heart that it experiences after the birth actually is what causes the foramen ovale and the ductus arteriosus to naturally close. But in this particular defect, transposition of the great arteries, which you might also see it abbreviated as TGA. In this particular defect, we want those structures to stay open because those are the only areas that are allowing exchange of oxygenated and deoxygenated blood. The way by which we do this is we often have identified this defect while the infant has been in utero during, you know, a diagnostic ultrasound, for example. And we will actually give these infants prostaglandin E to keep the PDA open, which is that vasodilator, and it's designed to keep it open in these sorts of situations. Now, in order to manage this, when you have a child that's born with TGA, basically what you would see in terms of the signs and symptoms is what we call SWAP, S-W-A-P, right? So Tetralogy of Fallot was wraps for the defects. Uh, TGA, we're going to use SWAP for the signs and symptoms. And that's going to talk about S is for the severe cyanosis. It will not resolve without treatment because you've got two isolated circuits brewing. And the degree of this is going, it varies, is 
and it, it varies because it's going to depend on the other defects that exist, whether it's a VSD or an ASD or, you know, keeping that PDA open. And so these infants will have really low O2 levels. They'll have increased heart rate, increased respiratory rate. They're going to be really poor feeders and they're going to have really cool extremities. So they're going to have that severe cyanosis. The W stands for we really want to watch their vital signs very quickly and prepare for an intervention. And the A is give them alprostadil, which is the prostaglandin E infusion to keep the PDA open. And that PDA is in between the, uh, it's, uh, kind of that's that open circuit on the aortic arch to the pulmonary artery. And it is allowing for the mixing of the deoxygenated and oxygenated blood. And we give that prostaglandin E in TGA to keep it open. And then we have to immediately do a procedure to do some sort of temporary fix. And this most often is a balloon atrial septoplasty where we will go in and we inflate a balloon um, between the atriums to create a hole, an ASD, so that there can be an exchange of the blood. And then after that, they will do an arterial switch procedure. And that is the permanent fix. And that's usually done within the first few weeks of life. So because this is a non, non-sustaining birth defect, uh, if we wait longer than a week with these infants, uh, they are likely to, to not survive as a result of the great arteries that have been switched. So it has to be that arterial switch between the pulmonary artery and the aorta have to be made in order for these individuals to live a long and healthy life. The other uh, cyanotic defect, effectively, that I forgot to, I neglected to mention initially, is really tricuspid atresia, which is when there is a complete failure of the tricuspid valve to develop, which when that happens, there's no communication at all between the right atrium and ventricle because there's not a valve there. So blood will flow through an atrial septal defect or a patent foramen ovale um, to the left side of the heart and then through <laughs> basically a ventricular septal defect to the right ventricle to then go to the lungs. So it's a huge roundabout way that the blood must flow just to get to the lungs. And this is often associated with pulmonic stenosis and transposition of the great arteries. Individuals that have, that are born with tricuspid atresia, right? And they don't, they just, there's, a, they don't have a tricuspid valve because it never developed. And because of that, the blood can't get from the right atrium to the right ventricle to go to the lungs. So it has to go on this, uh, rabbit hole loop. And you need to have an atrial septal wall defect and a ventricular septal wall defect to kind of go around the bend to just get to the pulmonic valve. Welcome to Fuller Butts, a behind-the-scenes plastic surgery podcast. Yes, you heard that right. Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Drs. Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. These 
individuals will have signs and symptoms of, of course, cyanosis, cyanotic, because there's not a blood, there's not a direct pathway for blood to get to the lungs. They're also likely to be tachycardic. That makes sense. Dyspneic, they're going to get tired really easily, especially when they are feeding. And they are then also slow to grow and have the potential to develop heart failure because those ventricles have to work extra hard. So the way that we really treat this is we get, we again, we give prostaglandins to keep the patent ductus arteriosus open. We need to keep it open in order to get that exchange of oxygenated and deoxygenated blood. And ultimately, they need um, surgery and they will shunt blood in order to make this work because the valve is not just magically going to appear. And it's not like we can go in and just put a new valve in there because we don't even have the structural opening of a faulty valve in which to do this. So because of that, they end up with an atrial septoplasty where they go in and they can use a balloon to create or enlarge the the hole or the opening between the heart's atriums um, to allow more blood to flow from the right atrium to the left atrium. And ultimately what they're going to need is a shunt, which is where we will create a bypass from a main blood vessel leading out of the heart to the blood vessels leading to the lungs. And what this basically looks like is they take the pulmonary artery. So if you were to take um, a picture or look at a structural anatomical view of the heart, you know that from that pulmonic valve, when it goes out of the right right ventricle, right, it branches like a T. It branches like a T and then it goes to the lungs. Well, on that branch of the T, they will actually take the inferior vena cava and they will create and sew the inferior vena cava into the pulmonary artery, which is deoxygenated, so that as the blood that was returning to the heart, to that right atrium, right, it actually bypasses the right side of the heart completely and just goes directly into the pulmonary artery structure to the lungs, which then does return via the left atrium down into the left ventricle and then kind of out into the main circulation. So that is um, kind of the big fix that has to be done with infants that are born with tricuspid atresia. This particular shunt, surgeons generally will implant this during the first two weeks of life. But because of this, um, infants normally outgrow this shunt and are often likely going to need another surgery either to replace it or to do another revision as they grow and get older and as their heart and everything else, as it does, grows and gets bigger. So that is tricuspid atresia. Now, if we think about mixed defects, the reason why I kind of link these two together is because in some books you're going to see that, for example, transposition of the great arteries is, they might classify it as a mixed defect, right? Because the pulmonary artery leaves the left ventricle and the aorta exits the right ventricle, right? Because you're on two different circulations. And because there's no communication that exists between the systemic and the pulmonary circulation, they, we have to keep, you know, <laughs> that PDA and the foramenovale open in order to get the mixed blood to circulate so that these infants can live until, you know, more definitive surgical treatment options exist. Irregardless, when you think about this, whether it's mixed or a cyanotic or decreased pulmonary blood flow, however you want to envision this, the name of the game and the goal is to make sure that these infants have enough oxygenated blood in which to thrive and survive. And many times your non-surgical options are going to be prostaglandin E1. 
um, which might be started to keep the ductus arteriuses open and to improve blood mixing temporarily, along with some sort of cardiac catheterization where we might use a balloon to blow out or open up or make wider a septal wall defect like in between the atriums to allow blood to mix similarly potentially in the ventricles and the surgical management is ultimately going to be geared at fixing the original cause so even if you think about tricuspid atresia like the surgical management is bypassing right the venous return that is supposed to go to the heart and sending it directly to the pulmonary arteries to be oxygenated even when we think about it, because another mixed cardiac defect like truncus arteriosus, and truncus arteriosus is just the failure of the aorta and the pulmonary artery to separate at birth. And so it becomes just like one big, you know, trunk of a vessel so that when the ventricles squeeze, you've got both oxygenated and deoxygenated blood going out to the body. So, you know, you don't have optimum oxygenation. Even with this, like... Yes, these all of these kids are likely to have some grade of a murmur, likely. And they're also likely to exhibit cyanosis and poor growth and activity intolerance because they're not getting enough properly oxygenated blood circulating. So when you think about defects with decreased pulmonary blood flow, the way I classify it, and maybe this doesn't work for you, and that's okay, the way I classify it is like a cyanotic defect. If there's not enough blood getting to the lungs to be oxygenated to then go out into the, cardi the cardiac circulation or the body's circulation, you're going to have to try to fix it. And an obstructive pulmonary blood flow and an anatomical defect like an ASD or VSD, right, where the pressure gradient is normally a right to left shift. Does that make sense? There's not enough blood flow going to the lungs. And so in the heart, you have some degree of blood that is bypassing the right side and getting to the left side, like in Tetralogy of Fallot or tricuspid atresia, right? When you, you know, don't have a tricuspid valve, it can't get to the right side of the heart. And these, those infants are going to have hypoxemia and cyanosis and all of your nursing interventions are going to revolve around trying to improve the oxygenation status. Similarly, with a mixed defect, right, when fully oxygenated systemic blood mixes with deoxygenated blood, it still causes a desaturation of the systemic blood. So if you have 100% oxygenated blood and you mix it with 100% deoxygenated blood, for all intents and purposes, you could say that there's now going to be 50% of oxygenated blood present. And you're going to see that in kids that have like transposition of the great arteries or truncus arteriosus, and they're going to show signs of pulmonary congestion that is going to occur and decreased cardiac output because the blood is mixing. They're going to have the signs of heart failure. They're going to have a degree of deoxygenation because the blood is mixing. And so then as it goes into the systemic circulation, it's still not enough oxygen. <laughs> That is my nitty-gritty breakdown on the very complicated cyanotic and mixed congenital heart defects, where in these conditions, hypoxia is more of the problem than congestive heart failure. And this is in reverse of an acyanotic problem, which is when the congestive heart failure is more of a problem than hypoxia because the blood gets to the lungs just fine. It just can't get out of the lungs or the heart. And in this case, in cyanotic defects or mixed defects, 
the blood can't get to the lungs and get out to the circulation. So you're going to have those signs of heart failure because it just can't, it's not perfusing correctly. All this to say that for cardiovascular defects, these kids are going to have to have some sort of intervention or cardiac catheterization to fix the issue. And it's going to vary based on what's happening. This is kind of a really hard concept to try to master. And so if you can sit down and just understand from a physiological perspective, what is occurring? What does that child look like? And how do we fix it? It can make it slightly easier to sort of digest and understand. So that's all that I've got on a very confusing pediatric congenital heart defect topic. If you've enjoyed and like what you've heard in this particular podcast series that I've started, make sure that you like it in the platform that you're listening to it in. It helps me know that people are actually listening. If you have any topic that you think um, I should cover or that you're interested in having me cover, let me know. There's an email listed in the podcast uh, description. Other than that, go forth and keep on learning.